So you know how when you're having so much fun, you don't want to stop doing something and you just like any way I can expand the fun that I'm having. That's what we did with Christine Knickerbocker. She and I were having so much fun on the last episode recording we did. I asked if we could stop and then continue on to part two of the Missing Link for SLPs with Christine Knickerbocker. So that is what we're doing. Welcome to part two with Christine Knickerbocker, A Temple Voice Center. Hello and welcome to the Missing Link for SLPs podcast. I'm glad you're here. Today's episode is part of the SLP Spotlight series where I talk with SLPs in a variety of SLP positions and settings, doing things that we knew SLPs did, but also working in areas that we've never thought or heard of SLPs working in. It is amazing the opportunities these SLPs have taken and where their careers have gone. This is storytelling time. We are back with part two of our episode with the Missing Link for SLPs podcast with Christy Knickerbocker, A Temple Voice Center. And we extended you, Christy, into part two because the conversation is going and I still have a list of questions here from people. So welcome back. Thank you for having me, Maddie. I'm so excited to be back. One of the questions I hear from the students is what does a day look like as a voice specialist or in your clinic and what type of etiologies, voice disorders do you work with? Things like that. That's a great question. So the real answer to that is that it has morphed and changed as far as like, what does a typical day look like for me? Um, moving locations. So when I was at the ENT clinic initially, it looked one way as far as timing. When I was on my own at the clinic, um, it looked different as well. And then now doing more teletherapy where I'm doing much less clinic time, um, for stroboscopies, it looks different as well. Um, and my kids have a lot to do with that too, as far as like ending my day at a certain time to go and pick them up from, uh, from school. So the, uh, as far as the etiologies, like I'm in any given day, like, let's just give a general, I'm doing maybe four to five video stroboscopies. Um, maybe one of fees, if that. Um, and the video stroboscopies are coming from maybe 20% self-referrals. Um, and then the rest of them are coming from ear, nose, throat doctors or um, neurologists. And they're either saying, I did an endoscopy on this person and I think I see nodules. I just want to be sure. And then give them some voice therapy. So I go in and I say... Oh, it was just mucus. Your vocal cords look great. Here's the video. I can show them with the technology because not many ENTs in our Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex have video stroboscopy. Some of them do, um, but many, many, many of them don't. And so I'm providing that kind of solidification of you have nodules or you don't. Um, I, yesterday I saw... Um, two patients actually with buccal cord paralysis. One of them came to me knowing they had the paralysis, but we were going to look at vibratory dynamics to see if they were a good candidate for voice therapy. Because depending on where the paralysis is, I'm either saying, yes, I'm confirming this, um, you need injection. Or yes, I'm confirming this, you need to go and talk about some sort of medialization procedure where they're bringing the vocal cord more towards the midline um, so the person can actually have a voice. This patient yesterday, uh, one of them, had one that uh, was kind of midline 
and closure was attainable. So I was thinking, you know, voice therapy is going to be really great for you because, um, you have a, there's a great potential for you, um, to do well. And the other person, um, vocal cord paralysis, we didn't really know, but the patient also had vocal cord dysfunction, but was coming to me, um, thinking they had reflux. They were like, yes, they've said, I have reflux. I've, you know, I'm on omeprazole. I've, you know, been taking these drugs, but I keep having these episodes where I can't breathe and they think it's asthma, but these inhalers don't work. And I'm thinking in my head, this person has vocal cord dysfunction, but not only do they have vocal cord dysfunction, they've got the paralysis too. And do I think, you know, at this point I'm thinking, do I have to see if, um, one is causing the other? Does it matter? I'm going to treat the symptoms. So I'm going to treat the vocal cord dysfunction. And then if there's residual hoarseness, then we'll address that at the time. So, um, and another person yesterday was um, pretty straightforward muscle tension dysphonia, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that patient is not upset because when it's muscle tension dysphonia, they're going to one, maybe more than one ENT, ENT saying, I don't see anything wrong with you. And so the patient's like, oh my God, they think it's all in my head. Right. They don't think anything's going on. Um, they're going to give me this medicine and a steroid, but then I'm not better and I'm scared. I'm scared to sing and things like that. Um, I will see patients who um, have these uh, diagnoses where there's neurodegenerative diseases like ALS. And um, those are always really upsetting because we know something's wrong. We do some voice therapy and then they come back around in a few months and they're like, hey, guess what? This diagnosis is um, really not good. Um, so that's something that I'm seeing. Um, I will see patients for gender affirming voice therapy or voice sessions. Um, we do baseline video stroboscopy just to make sure there's nothing going on um, in their larynx before we start uh, voice sessions there. Um, I'm confirming or denying a lot of times uh, spasmodic dysphonia. So sometimes people are coming and they're saying, I just don't know what's wrong with my voice. And sometimes the physician's thinking this might be spasmodic dysphonia, but other times, sometimes I'm seeing somebody that hadn't seen a doctor in years and they're like, it's so much worse. And they come in and I'm like, that's exactly what you have. And so at that point I'm saying, okay, I'll do behavioral evaluation. And then we're going to go ahead and send you, um, for, for, for Botox consult because there, you know, voice therapy is not going to make a huge impact on you right now. And I'm very certain this is what you have. I'm not going to waste any of your time, any more of your precious time, you know, than you've been waiting and waiting, waiting to, to seek an, an exam. Um, and then, you know, lesions, you have, people with granulomas who, who may need surgery or, or a polyp that may need to come off and you're just confirming size and placement of that and then educating the patient on that. And then phonotrauma prevention. How can I try and get this to go down before surgery or have a really nice surgical outcome afterward? So that's uh, my typical day anymore with COVID is I'm just doing evals on the days I'm in person. And then I'm doing most of my follow-ups on telepractice these days with COVID. This is you being based out of a physical clinic? So, yeah. So, I'm, I'm using a room in a physician's office now since with COVID. I was, I was in a physical clinic that was just mine until August of this year. My lease was up. 
and uh, business-wise with COVID, like there was absolutely no way I was going to be able to continue to pay rent with the amount of patients I was able to see with how COVID goes and with reimbursements being so iffy with teletherapy. It's just been a real ride. Um, so right now I'm a day and a half a week at a physician's office, just in a room. I have my strobe tower in there and um, just rolling with rolling with how the world is right now. I'm trying to keep seeing patients. What is, um, what's the cost of a strobe tower? Ooh, so I say this in that it's not that bad because comparative to what you could be paying, I think it's not that bad. So you can get a stroboscopy machine for around 15 or $20,000. The good thing about this now is that more of these companies are doing loans. So when I got mine, I took out a loan from somewhere else, purchased the machine in full, and then paid off the loan. But many of these newer companies are are working with people who want to do startups um, to help them help their patients. And yes, it's not, I still don't have the Cadillac of Stroboscopy machines, but it gets great views as you can see from this poster. So um, I, I have not a whole lot of complaints there. Um, what I like the Cadillac that the big voice clinics have. Yeah, they're super, they're clear. They, they work well, but you know, for what I have, it works well too. And, um, I'm able to make the difference I need to for the patients in our area. So. Well, and it's those baby steps moving forward in your career. Yeah, for sure. And like, Maybe I will buy one at one point, um, but I have very low cost acoustic testing on that tower. I have a computer on there. Um, I have Pratt, which is free in my mm -hmm. computer. And I use Phonanium, which is like five or 600 bucks um, for those scripts to run AVQI. And that's, that's my tower. And that tower I got used. I got, I got that sucker on Craigslist. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I, I chuckled at the price you said, because I come from the clinics where I don't purchase my own equipment. So, you know, it's a lot, it's a lot of money, but I mean, when you compare it to like 80 or a hundred thousand dollars, it's not as much. So well, the cord that we use in our video fluoroscopy suite, just the cord is $10,000 run. Yeah. Um, yeah. That run, you know, back to the radiologist behind the, you know, the, the shielding wall. Yeah. Um, I was going to add, you and I've been talking a lot about networking and you've mentioned, um, you know, the, the other interprofessionals you've worked with. Yeah. Somebody, I get some of my referrals some from our physical therapists who do a lot of cranial sacral work mm -hmm. as clients have the, you know, it's funny in the university setting, we use clients in the clinic setting, we use patients. So it yeah. just it depends on where back and forth. Yeah. But they'll they'll refer their patients to me because they're they're doing this cranial sacral work. The patient is just so tight, and and their voice, you know, muscular tension dysphonia. Yeah, as a result of that, I think that's great, Maddie, because that that really allows people to to see that there's more than one place for your referral base to come from, <clears throat> and you know, to not leave those stones unturned, and to really always think, how can I get referrals if you don't have enough patients starting out with your private practice? What who else could I go and talk to and let them know, hey, we're here and we do a darn good job. And this is what we do. And yeah. this is your, your patients. Yeah. You, in your intro, I read the word vocologist. Tell us what that is. Yeah. So vocologist is the specific word for specializing in rehabilitation of the voice. But I think it encompasses habilitation as well. 
it's hard to define only because you could be a singing teacher and not have a degree in communication sciences and disorders and speech language pathology, but still, I think, call yourself a vocologist if you have the knowledge of the mechanism. So as far as the degree, I think it doesn't matter as much, but your training and your understanding of the vocal mechanism, voice production physiology, um, and then uh, habilitation and even potentially rehabilitation of, of the voice, you could call yourself a vocologist. And it's inter- that's a great, interesting question, Maddie, because the Pan-American Vocology Association, where in- it's Ingo Tietze doing that, and, and they have been trying to determine a kind of competency checklist um, for, mm-hmm. for having that kind of title or having a, 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 something to call yourself that. Um, and there, everybody has a difference of opinion because those in other countries who are coming from different backgrounds who have been maybe singing all their life and singing trained and maybe done a couple courses on voice habilitation and maybe even rehabilitation could technically be a vocologist. So um, I think if you are constantly striving to stay up to date on the current research you're, or you're participating in research projects, you're, you're seeing people so either in a singing voice lesson setting or a clinic setting, hospital setting, if you're just specifically focused on the voice, because like, I really feel like laryngologists could be considered vocologists. I mean, they're, they're working with the voice as well. Um, so it's kind of a hard term to define just because with our entire world, people are coming from different experiences and different training with that, um, I think if you see two voice patients a year, you're not a vocologist. Right. So um, I think it has to do with the continuing education you're putting yourself, the positions you're putting yourself in, what you're dealing with on a daily basis. Um, you mentioned competency checklist. I've worked at some big medical centers where, you know, and I've worked at rural centers. Mm-hmm. The rural centers do not have a competency checklist. You walk in, you say, I do video swallows. They say, great, here you know, here's our suite, here's our text, welcome. And the medical centers, before you begin practicing some of those much more skilled procedures, you have to work your way through a competency checklist with somebody who checks you off. Mm -hmm. You you have to read the research. You have to show that you know what you do. Mm -hmm. Then you have to demonstrate that you know what you do. Then, Then you have to do the charting and it's all reviewed. So for the, the, speech pathologist who wants to move into the voice world and you are not put or required to do a a competency checklist, look for places on the internet or wherever that may have a voice competency. Here's how you do it and put yourself and discipline yourself to work your way through those. those Yeah. And attend the conferences. There are plenty of conferences yearly that are just voice specific. So you have Voice Foundation, you have um, the Fall Voice Conference, you have Sin City Laryngology, you have um, the Voice Forum, um, you have, uh, they're doing it right now out of uh, Philadelphia, the, you know, the voice, the virtual voice therapy conference, they're doing it, Jackie's doing it virtually this year. So there's tons of opportunities where you can go and listen to people talk about their specific research and just put yourself in that situation until, until you know that you know. And that's your ethics. It's like, well, do I specialize in this? Well, how much of it do you see? Right. How much of it do you know about? 
Um, are you presenting on this knowledge in your community? Um, or, you know, are you taking these projects upon yourself that aren't asked of, of your job and you're still continuing to put time and, and effort into them? Um, so it's hard when you don't have a competency checklist because like, is there one? Uh, kind of. Um, there's not a specific. ASHA doesn't have one necessarily. Um, there's no um, board certified voice specialist yet. They're working on it, but I mean, you, it's not like you, you can do it for swallowing or you can be a, a board certified specialist there. Two more things to talk about before we run out of time. You, you and I, where you and I are sitting on Zoom. So I yeah. see <laughs> jacket on or any of and you have this beautiful poster behind you. I am one of your poster testers. I'm so excited about you it. Are. Yeah. Sale soon on your website. Yes. But it's beautiful poster of vocal tracks. Yeah. Can you tell us about your vocal poster. So, voice yeah. So what I wanted to do with the voice poster was create something that was visual. I was having trouble um, with my, the posters that I have because the pictures are really small. Um, I having to have patients get up out of the chair and walk over to the wall to be able to see something. Um, and then for teletherapy, I'm having to screen share and, and locate the picture really quickly. Um, so I wanted something large to put behind my screen so I could just move and tilt the camera up and kind of point with a stick or a pencil to say, here's what we're talking about here. Here's what we're wanting to work towards here whenever the occasion were to arise. So um, over the years, I've been able to... Um, get pictures uh, of the different types of disorders to really be able to, to showcase what we deal with on a daily basis, especially if someone's never seen a disorder or, and that I mean clinician wise, and for the patients, they most likely have never seen their a normal larynx, let alone a disordered one. So it really gives them a sense of, oh, that's what that's supposed to look like. And this is what I look like uh, to really help you solidify um, the problem that they can't see because physical therapists have it so easy. Here's your arm. <laughs> you can see it's not working right. Look at it. Look at that arm. And like we're over here going and inside your throat and people are going, what? You don't have 10 vocal cords. There's just two of them. Um, so the poster is really born out of need. Um, and then something I just wanted to, um, to create, uh, to make really perfect, which is why I wanted the testers. Cause I want to know what it's like in other settings as well and how I can make it perfect for clinicians and patients alike. Well, I will use this when I work with my, for example, with the vocal nodule kiddos that I work with, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll, we'll look at a YouTube video and here's what vocal nodules look like on a YouTube video. And here's what it sounds like. And, and I have to queue up the video and I try to pause it at the right spot to catch, you know what I mean? And this will be great because I am huge on educating the patient that I work with. And this is just like you. This is what you've got and this is where we want to be. Mm -hmm. And these kiddos, they can see, they can see that nodule. Mm -hmm. Then we talk about behaviors that, um, or the misuses that, you know, your choice to scream mm -hmm. and yell at your brothers and, and shout on the playground and talk above all the class when your teacher's talking, this, you know, makes this bigger. And like, yeah. Um, I, one of the, um, like I said before, I use a lot of your materials from your website and um, I'm, so let's get in and discuss a, a case study. Let's do it. A case study. 
um, working with pediatrics with yep. modules, they can be hard because um, they just have these behaviors. Any suggestions? It's so hard. Um, I think the biggest thing is looking at the current research. There is an article, Barbara Weinrich, Lisa Kelchner. There's a third. I'm going to blank right here. Um, it's a practical approach. I'm trying to think of the title. A practical approach to voice pediatric voice therapy. Um, anyway, they're talking very specifically about... Um, the family involvement and how the therapy techniques and what you're doing in therapy is probably is important, but the, the, the thing that matters the least when we're talking about what's going to contribute to the best outcome and what their findings are, are that expectation of the client, you know, family environment, how the caregivers are involved, because you may not just be dependent on the parents and you have to remember that these pe- these kids may be living with their grandparents. They may be living with, um, you know, foster families as well. Um, and so the caregiver involvement here, I think, is the really important part of getting that home practice and getting that carryover because you as the rapport with your kiddo, um, they have to trust you. They ha- And so you, you're working really hard to build that, but the bottom line is, is when they get out of that therapy session, they're on their own and they're a kid. So even adult voice therapy is challenging because they have things they have to get done. They have work, they have responsibilities and you're sitting there going behavior change, try for the behavior change. (laughs) So with, with their, and they're going, crap, I need to do the behavior change. I remember, but I just, Oh, I couldn't today. But with the kids, they're not remembering as much. And so the thing you can do the best, I think is have different opportunities to send home practice and then really talk about functional realistic goals here where if they're young enough to still take a bath, you're doing baby bubbles in the bathtub. You know, you're like, Hey, here's a straw. We're doing bath right now. We're going to do some of that good voicing. What did you do today to help not scream on the playground? And, you know, and you're really trying to work in these things to daily family routines. Um, you're in the car, you've got some straws in the car seat in front of you where the, you know, you can grab that. Oh yeah. Reminder. Technology can help with those reminders too, because as a parent, I know it's going to be the least of your worries. Like if they're fed, if they're not screaming, you're good. Oh crap. I need to talk to, um, to Juan about not having the screaming today or, or how did he go? How did it do on the playground? So, um, I think that if you're struggling with nodules that don't go away first, you've got to make sure they are nodules. So if you're sure that your kid patient has had a, a really good instrumental exam to determine, is this truly what this is, you know, appealing to the why, why are we resting our voice? I think you're exactly right, Maddie, with the visuals. Here's what happens. You can't feel it because there's no nerve endings there. Um, so you really have to be cognizant and, and want to make a change and talk about how the, how the kid feels, you know, about that. Because the parents may not care at all. And the kid may be very upset by it. Or you may have the opposite relationship where the parents are very overbearing and they're like, you must do what the speech therapist says. You must do this. And the kid's like, I don't really care at all. I'm just here because they make me come. So it's delicate and it's challenging. Um, but that article is super, super nice. That article talks about some other case studies um, within that article. So I've got I just tried to find it. We will be sure do, that we find it before we, you know, and we'll post it in the show notes. Perfect. 
I should have had it pulled up. I didn't think about it. You can send it to me after just to make sure I've got the right one that you're thinking of. Okay. Um, so is, you know, you touched on that, um, you know, about the home environment. One of the things I did with this, um, a child I worked with in the past is he just came from a disruptive home environment and it was mm. so difficult for him to not yell, to not scream because he was picked on. Mm. So we played a game of war and you have on your website, um, voca- voiceology. It's a really fun game. Oh, voiceopoly. Yeah. God, that was such an early, early creation. (laughs) Well, this child and I, we played um, war. Like, yes, it was a, you know, game, you know, play war with the cards and, and um, we each laid a card down and whoever won, if, if he won, then he had to identify a good voice behavior choice that he had made. I chose not to yell at my brothers. I chose not to do this. And if I won, he needed to identify uh, a vocal misuse that he uses. Yeah. Yeah. I said, you really, and this was a a kid who just loves to win. And so it's, you know, you're winning at the game of life. (laughs) You roar against your vocal nodules and we had so much fun. I love it. Those angles. Well, I think that's great. Yeah. Okay. So sorry, here's this article. It's a practical discussion of current approaches to providing voice therapy to children with dysphonia. That is the entire article title and why I couldn't remember it. And it is, um, it is, uh, it is uh, January, 2018 and it's Susan Baker Brim. That's who I couldn't remember. So Susan, um, Barbara Weinrich and Lisa Kelchner. Excellent. Well, on that note, we will thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Maddie. I really had a good time. This was fun. Appreciate you coming on. I hope today's conversation has created some aha moments for you and motivated you to become a better SLP. Continuing to connect some of those missing links between what you know and how to use that knowledge. Thank you for downloading the missing link for SLP's podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, I'd love you to subscribe, rate it, and leave a short review. Also, please share an episode with a friend. Together, we can raise awareness and help more SLPs find and connect those missing links and get the information needed to help them feel confident in their patient care every step of the way. Follow me on Instagram and join the Fresh SLP community on Facebook. Show notes are always available, so come learn more at freshslp.com. Let's make those connections. You've got this.